Parenting's hard, you don't know what to do. You're blaming your kids, but it's probably you. You love your kids and that you can trust. Just remember your kids don't suck. Welcome to your kids don't suck. Cultivating closeness with your children through non-coercive conscious parenting. We're your hosts, Kara Tedstone and Rathia Lee. Let's dive in and grow together. Welcome to episode three of your kids don't suck. And we are here today to talk about what's wrong with coercion, because we are in the bigger umbrella of non coercive conscious parenting. So what's wrong with coercion? And also, how does it relate to the boundaries we make and set with our children? And so that's what we're going to get into today. Very excited, because we have a special guest. His name is Vivek Patel, and we're especially excited because one, he's our first guest ever, (laughs) and two, uh, he is the reason that I uh, got on this path of non-coercive, what what he calls collaborative parenting with my 11-year-old because I was a playful, very loving very attuned, attached parent to my daughter. And I also coerced her until she was five. I forced her to do things. I controlled her all the time. And I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I really didn't know that there was anything else. Um, And then I found Vivek's videos on YouTube and I started watching them and I thought, oh, this is interesting. And I watched on and off in a very kind of chilled out way for a couple of years. And then when my daughter was five, there were things leading up to it, but I caught her eating candy, a sneaking candy in the bathroom. And I had a full on awakening in my brain that something was wrong with the way I was parenting because she was starting to hide things from me. And I looked ahead into the future of my relationship with her. And I saw that it was only going to get worse, that the divide between us was going to get bigger and bigger if I continued to control and coerce her in the way that I was. Even though I loved her more than anything in the whole wide world, I saw the outcome of power struggles. So I reached out to Vivek and I said, I want to do non-coercion. I want to go full and I want to do it wholeheartedly. I want to, I don't want to hold back. And somehow we became very connected. And Vivek started coaching me regularly, texting me, talking to me on the phone and helping me go into a huge life change for our family. Thanks so much for inviting me to the podcast. I love being here. Um, I love you. And I love that I just met you, uh, Kara, and uh, learning learning all about your parenting journey has been exciting too. And uh, yeah, my name is Vivek Patel. Like you said, my social media is Meaningful Ideas. And uh, you can find me on all the spaces there. And I put out a video every day, which is very exciting. And uh, and I remember uh, our early interactions because they were so intense, you know. I remember that candy incident so clearly. I think about it all the time because that's one of the reasons that I think this kind of parenting is so important and why I'm so passionate about sharing it is because kids from an early age, they learn to hide from us, you know. And I, I, I hid everything from my parents, my I, uh, I'm 54 years old. You know, when I was a kid, I used to hide things from my parents all the time. I lied to them all the time um, because every time uh, I would make a mistake, I was received with, you know, judgment and and problem. Pro- pro- it was a problem. I was a problem. I was a problem that needed to be fixed. And I grew up thinking I was a problem that needed to be <laughs> that needed to be fixed. It's such a sad way to grow up. I'll tell you. I was uh, all my natural instincts were wrong. Everything about me was wrong and I needed to be fixed. And fixing meant violence and punishment and disconnection and coercion and control. And uh, and I just I just I, I you know, I was a pretty rebellious uh, teenager, largely because of that. And uh, and I just knew I didn't want my my kid to have to go through that same that same cycle of disconnection. And so for me, I, I was like, what can I do to be the safest place for my kid? What can I do to be the closest relationship for my kid? What can I do so that she's not going to have this sense of having to protect herself from me? And uh, and so that was a huge thing for me was was that relationship. When your kid yeah. was hiding candy in the bathroom, um, to me, it was it's, it, it's it's devastating. And it's also like super predictable because you weren't even like a coerce, like a overly coercive parent. You were probably the most 
lenient of the parents in your whole social circle already, right? Yes, I was. I was. Yeah. yeah. And that's why non-coercive collaborative parenting, which is what I have uh, coined the parenting style that I teach, non-coercive collaborative parenting. Uh, that's why it's a little different from the mainstream gentle parenting. Because in mainstream gentle parenting, we still put limits on our kids and boundaries, and we hold them in place with the power because we're the adults and they have the brain development and we have the brain development and all that stuff. Um, but but for me, like every time we use coercion with our kids, anytime we use our power to control them in any way, that's avoidable. Because sometimes it's not avoidable, right? But if every time that it's avoidable and we use it, rather than seek out a different option, it puts a little layer of disconnection between us and our kids. They, tra they trust us less, we're connected less, they have to protect them themselves from us a little bit more. And, uh, and, for, and for me, that, that was devastating. I, never, I didn't want that. And in those early years of us, uh, uh, early month, years, it was a couple of years that we worked together uh, like daily. And for those couple of years, um, you know, you would come to me with, with saying, what about this? And then we'd explore where, what's the coercion in it? What's the potential for collaboration? What's the human side of it? What's the, what are the, all the different um, emotional sides of it? What are the relational sides of it? What are the environmental aspects? There's so much to go that goes into every, um, every issue that we have with our kids. And, uh, and when we really think deeply about thing, this kind of stuff, it opens up a whole new world, uh, world to us. And so uh, one of the reasons I loved working with you is because it helped me clarify so many of my own uh, thoughts and, uh, and understandings around this, because I was mostly doing it. And then to actually go so deep with, with, with you was, uh, was a fantastic. And I've worked with hundreds of families since then, and uh, and have been uh, you know have thousands of families uh, following me and sharing their their uh, their experiences with me, and it's really very exciting to watch so many people embrace uh, truly walking alongside our kids rather than holding ourselves above them and the magic in the relationship that 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 creates and not just our own relationship with our kids but our relationship with ourselves and our and our kids' relationship with themselves as well it it becomes completely transformed. I uh, you know my my kid is. Uh, 26 now. So she was born in 1997, and uh, and there was no uh, internet or Facebook back then that that had you know parenting accounts on it. So we were figuring stuff out all on our own, uh, and it was amazing to watch uh, this uh, this path kind of unfold before us because we decided that we were going to follow our kids' direction and we were going to trust her path and not impose our path, not impose our values. I mean that's radical now. It was really radical back then, and. Mm. Uh, and the beautiful thing about it is, you know, over the couple of decades that we've been practicing this, because it's a practice, now my uh, my 26-year-old, Vietz, she is, uh, oh, we're best friends, you know, we're so close. Um, she still really has a deeply trusting, open, vulnerable relationship with both my wife and I, uh, a joyful relationship, but also a really deeply learning relationship. And it's, uh, you know, it's the best thing in the world for me to be so close to my adult uh, adult child. And so... I really uh, makes me passionate about sharing this information with other people because so many people don't know how they push their kids away, little, little things that they do to push their kids away. And uh, and the more that we can see that and the more that we can adjust that, the, the deeper our relationship with our kids get. That is so helpful to hear sort of said all in succession, like how your relationship supported you and your relationship, yours with Verthea and yours with your daughter. And a lot of what you said answered the question of the day, which is in this episode, like, what is non-coercion? What is wrong with coercion? And what you were just saying, you know, about this closeness that you have in your adult relationship kind of helps me conceptualize why we are talking about this in the first place. What is the wrong? Which is, I think, this goal of ours as parents to constantly teach and impose Right. When I think about non-coercion, it's more about what it isn't. And I know you talk about that a lot too, Vivek, right? About like what we do do and what we don't do. And right. I love that because that's really helpful for me. I think about that. I'm like, okay, hey, what do we do for right. parents? And what's wrong with non-coercion, I think, is the imposing of yeah. our own goals, of our agenda. It's the urgency that we hold as parents, the rightness, right? The um, overt, I think, like authoritarian structure, like the expectations of society, and I think that's what's wrong with coercion and what non-coercion is. It's not really about like you always say. And again, I know we're probably going to say a lot of the same things in our videos yeah. and on our podcasts over and over, but it's like, we don't just let our kids run into the street 
and we don't right. not protect them <laughs> and we don't not teach and we don't not guide, but we just don't right. do it with um, force and imposition, I think. I think that to me, you summed it all up without saying it, right? But it's it's the the goal for me in my relationship with my daughter. And like you said, when my daughter was born, she's 15 months now, when she was born and even prior, I, I just knew that the way that I was working with kids before in roles as teacher, as um, support in many different capacities, it was like anytime I would impose myself on them, even using the word no or telling them how things should be, like it never felt right to me. Because I always questioned that, like, what do I even know? And I always had this implicit awareness that like the kids that I was with knew, knew more than me. Nice. They knew more <laughs> themselves about their own feelings and behaviors and thoughts. And and I just always questioned this um, notion that like, just because I was going to become a mom, um, that didn't mean that I was not like also a partner to my nice. child. Nice. So I, I think that that all sort of speaks to me when I think of what is what's wrong with coercion really is is really what you were saying. It's imposing yourself on someone else. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me just because we're parents. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think I think in any relationship, we influence each other naturally. That just happens, you know, like uh, like even in this even in this conversation that we're having every time you say something it influences me every time i say something it influences uh the the both of you we're always influencing each other and so there's no way around that you know when I, when when we talk about imposing it doesn't mean we're not influencing um i think that that's important to recognize because uh, because you know and i want to be influenced by my close people i want to be influenced by them and i want to influence my close people i think it's a beautiful part of human relationships the thing is, are we doing it with real integrity? Are we doing it in a way that aligns with respecting the other person's consent and autonomy and humanity, as well as as well as our own? And if there's a power difference, are we doing it in a way that respects the power difference uh, in our in our relationship? You know, and there's so many different things to keep in mind when we want to influence with integrity. Because on the one hand, you know, like. Like you said, the running. I'm glad you mentioned running into the street because it's the most common objection. And oh, you so you always say yes to your kids, so then you're just going to let them run into the street. I, I and I know that people mean well. I believe I want to believe that people mean well when they when they when they say that or when they write that comment because I get that every day. Mm. Um, and uh, along with people telling me I'm destroying society because I'm telling uh, suggesting that we trust our kids. Um, but the running into the street thing. What, ha what happens is people think, oh, if you let kids do whatever they want, the first thing they're going to do is try and, and try and do the most dangerous thing. And so then you have to grab them and, 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 and scare them into not running into the street. But then, but then they also want to take that uh, uh, justification for protecting their lives into controlling their sugar and controlling their sleep and controlling their hygiene and controlling the homework and controlling how they talk and controlling how they walk and controlling who their friends are and controlling how they play and and they have to pick up the toys otherwise the toys get put away and if you and if you buy a toy you don't play with it right away you don't play with it to that old satisfaction i'm not getting you a second one because you didn't even play with the first one and then there's so many ways that we judge uh, and control our kids and it all kind of flows from the idea that because i don't want my kid to run into the street and i have more power i should be able to stop them and then we just keep going with that if we only did it for life-threatening situations, if, if, I always tell people, if you're going to say that, um, that, oh, then I shouldn't let them run to the street, then if you only do it for life-threatening situations and with everything else, you would refuse to say, no, I'm on board with it. Let's do it. You know? <laughs> but most people aren't willing to go there. And, uh, and so for me, it's like a whole, it's a whole, uh, it's a whole mindset about having a, it's, a, it's about having a value around non-coercing. It's not only doing it because, it's more effective, which it is. It's more kind, which it is. It creates better relationships, which it is. Although, which it does. All those things are true. But honestly, even if it didn't, even if it made life harder, and even if it made the, the relationship like more rocky, I would still do it because I don't think it's right for us to use power and violence to control other human beings. <laughs> I think, and I think for me, as a, especially my kid, I don't want to use power and violence. To you and I sorry to use harsh words like power and violence, but that's what's happening. If you take the tablet out of your kid's hands, you cannot do it without power and violence because they won't let it go willingly. If you try and get them to go to sleep when they're not ready to go to sleep, you have to use some kind of emotional, relational, environmental, or access to resources, power and violence to make that happen. Otherwise, they'll just do what they want. Why why wouldn't they just do what they want if you're if you don't not holding power and violence over them, if you're trying to control them? 
And so I did not want to relate to my kid with that. So I had to figure out what's a whole different way of relating to my kid where I don't have to use the power and violence that's so common in traditional parenting and even in, even in mainstream gentle parenting. I did not want my decisions, I did not want my guidance to come that, from that because then what happens is, first of all, the kid gets used to your guidance hurting them and then they can't trust your guidance. So immediately you lose the influence, you lose the ability to really guide them in the times where you, they need our guidance. You know, and yes, kids need our guidance. I mean, it doesn't make sense for us not to think that our kids never need our guidance. That's one of the beautiful parts of, of parenting is for a child to be able to rest uh, in their in their parents' wisdom, in their parents' love, in their parents' kindness. You know, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing. When my kid, when I see my kid leaning on me, uh, even when she's like upset and crying and she's like, and she le leans on me or she cries in my arms, Part of me, I'm sad for her, but part of me is just full of so much joy that she feels comfortable enough to do that, you know? And the other part of, um, of it is like when we use power and violence to make someone do something they don't want to do or stop someone from doing something they do want to do, it's to make or to stop, right? So when we make or stop someone using the power and violence that we have in the relationship, it damages not only their relationship to us, but their relationship to themselves because they become disempowered. They don't learn about their own power. They believe, they end up believing that their own uh, right to their consent of their body and their thinking and their feeling, because consent is not only physical, right? It, it extends into our emotional and our mental. And then the, the, their right to their consent and autonomy is not valid. And so if their right to their consent and autonomy is not valid, other people's right to their consent and autonomy is not valid. And we've created people who don't respect their own and other people's, you know, right to their, their own bodies and their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own humanity. And, uh, and you know, so like consent and honoring consent and autonomy is one of the biggest elements of non-coercive collaborative parenting. And uh, because it damages the kid's relationship with themselves and then the ripple effects out there. And then the third damage is that... Um, it damages our relationship with ourselves because you can't you you can't commit an act of violence and power over someone else, someone especially someone so vulnerable as your kid, without closing off a part of your own humanity, without shutting off a part of your own uh, your own your own heart and your own compassion, and uh, and maybe maybe a lot of that was shut off for you by your own formative years, and so as we uh, as we re what's the word, we repattern ourselves, we parent ourselves, and we work to be more compassionate to ourselves and our kids, uh, our relationship with ourselves changes too. And we end up learning to love ourselves in the way that we never really was possible uh, through coercing our kids because we no longer have to dehumanize and shut off our own humanity in order to, to exert power and violence over our kids. So it's a, for me, it's like a, it's a huge, I, I, I appreciate that Rithia called it a lifestyle earlier. Not just a, it's not just a parenting um, formula. It's a lifestyle. You know, it's a relationship with ourselves, with our kids, with themselves, and a whole. Uh, it's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole way of thinking about the world and what kind of world do I want to bring our kids into, and do I want to help create? And uh, yeah, it just it, for me, it's like it's it's so uh, it's so it's so profound that way. The um, the way the influence and and the um, what was the other word I said? Influence and guiding is so important. You know. And the other part of it is, is that the guiding is, is mutual. That's one of the things that helps it feel uh, so connected is that, like you said, uh, Kara, that you when you're with kids, you can see how much they have to offer and how much uh, you know there is to learn from them. And when, when I'm with young people, you just yesterday, when I went to visit my mom at the hospital, when I was dropping, uh, when I was getting out of the car, I actually saw a friend walking by with her two kids in the stroller. I was so surprised. I was like, could that possibly be my friend? So I yelled out her name and she turned around. I was like, oh, it is. So I ran up and, and hugged her. One of my dance friends. Uh, I'm a dancer. That's one thing Rathia and I have in common is we practice the same dance form. And so this is one of my my, my dance friends. I ran up and I said hi. And the, the little kid knew me. Um, little one's what, like five months now, maybe? And immediately smiled. And the older one's maybe three or four. And I went up to the older one and, and the mom introduced me and said, oh, hi, hi, little ones. This is Vivek. I don't remember the kids' names, but they, <laughs> this is Vivek. And the little one smiled at me because I've, I've held them a couple of times. The, the older one I didn't, didn't know me. I think it must have been three years old, two or three. And, uh, and immediately kind of got, kind of got like withdrawn. I was going to say shy, but I don't like the word. Kind of got withdrawn and a little bit pulled away. And I was expecting the parent to say, because that's what almost all parents do, say hi to Vivek. Mm -hmm. Vivek saying hi. 
but they didn't. Oh. I was so shocked. I was like, oh my God, they're letting the kid do their own thing. I was so happy with that. I was in shock. I actually have to write write to her and say how much I appreciated that moment because all of my nervous system was prepared to defend the kid because I always defend, right? I always come in and say, oh no, it's okay. They're just being themselves. And I love it when kids do this because they are being intelligently cautious and they want to make sure that they trust the person before they, I have a whole, a whole thing I say about that. So the kid at least hears it. Um, and I was immediately, my nervous system was ready for that. And she didn't do it. I was like, I just, I can't tell you the joy I felt in that moment yeah. to watch like this beautiful moment of acceptance happen. And so then I got to connect with the kid, right? Because there wasn't this added layer of coercion that got in the way. So I took a little step back because I could feel the kid needed a little extra space. And I said, I love your Batman pajamas. And uh, and uh, and I said, Batman is the best. And, her, and then mom said, yeah, secretly he's Batman. We don't tell anybody. And I said, that's fantastic. I'm so glad you told me the secret. And then the kid immediately, just from that, the respect of stepping back and the uh, uh, showing like uh, real uh, interest in what they were interested in, he put, his, he put his feet up to show me his Spider-Man shoes. And it was like, he, he's like, oh, you like this part of me? Let me show you more of me. Let me give you more of me. You know, already we had this friendship of trust built. Already we had this connection built. And the kids are longing to show us their true self. They're longing to show us their vulnerable self. They're longing for it. And an adult who comes along who shows them just a little bit of that, you know, it's just, a, it's amazing to me, you know, how how they how they reacted. And then all of a sudden we were pals. <laughs> it didn't take long. And so I think, you know, the, 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 and, then, and then this kid, you know this kid, at that moment, if I had given them any kind of suggestion at all, they would have taken it without any problem. They wouldn't have hesitated. They may not have agreed with it, but they would have taken it in and, and considered it, even at two and three years old. And so we absolutely can have a really deep uh, mutual guiding relationship with our kids if we don't hold ourselves above them. And I think uh, that experience yesterday, I'm going to write an article about it because it, so, it was so lovely. I thought, Carrie, you and I could maybe weigh in on ways that this lifestyle is uh, affecting the closeness with our kids. Mm -hmm. Because last night, um, I always help my daughter fall asleep. I always lie down next to her um, for the first hour, and then I get up and go in my bed. But she goes, um, Mom, we have to have a big talk. I, I need to have feelings right now. <laughs> I just feel so much joy when she says stuff like that. I just feel like, oh my God, this is going so well. Everything is right in the world, you know? Um, and we get in bed and she just goes deep and she was crying about uh, some feelings about her friends and her longing for closeness. And then she would go, hug me. <laughs> then I would hug her and then she, she, yeah, she cried on and off and she probably talked straight for half an hour and I'm just looking in her eyes. I'm rubbing her hair and I don't give suggestions and I don't give advice and I just absolutely bask. I could just cry right now in the moment of gratitude of uh, this path I've decided to go on because she trusts me. She's learning from me about emotional intelligence because of the relationship we're having, because of the relationship she sees me have with my partner and my clients. And my, I mean, you know, she hears about my clients very peripherally, but she asks me every day, how is your client? And we talk about it because that's another thing is as she's gotten older and she's trust me more, she asks me more and more about my life because she doesn't feel so controlled. Um, and there's space for me. And then when she doesn't feel like it, she'll say, I don't, I don't want to hear about you right now. <laughs> She's also very I have this amazing, clear child. Um, and recently I was having a hard time and she said, mom, you're really pushing me away right now. And I was, mm -hmm. I was again, you know, oh my God, I'm so touched that she gets that that's what is happening right now. Like she named it so accurately that when I am triggered and I'm reacting that I'm pushing her away. Like that is such precise understanding of the yeah. dynamic. Um, and it's also, it's also beautiful that she knows you don't want that. Right. right? She knows you don't want that. She's letting you right. know so that you can take a different action. Right. Cause she knows I don't want it. She and also I never, to her that the, like a lot of times she says things that I never said like I never said when we're hurt we push people away I don't remember teaching her that she's just very tuned in she's yeah. just very tuned in 
That's amazing. And all of this would not be made possible if I hadn't jumped on this big journey, which was literally the scariest thing in the world. I had no modeling of it. I had no one was doing it in my life. No one was doing it in my world. No one agreed with me. My partner didn't understand. My co-parent didn't understand. And I just knew this. I was like, uh, like when it turned over, I was like, this is it. This is what I absolutely 100% have to do. I'm going to lose my connection with my child. I knew that. I knew that. And it was, it was hard. I can tell you more about what was so scary about it. Um, but I want to give you a chance, Kara, to talk about your, your moments where you realize that why this is working for you. There's so much in there with both of what you just said, but like things are just like popping out in each direction for me. One of the things that Vivek, you were talking about was, you know, even a young child, a very young child, an infant even, uh, which my kid obviously being 15 months is the youngest one of the three of us. And it is working and um, coercion is not working. And it's very palpable to me, even in this young age since the beginning, because Vivek, you talked in some of your videos and even in that story about like not imposing in the way that like a child doesn't need to engage with you just because they should, because it's polite. Right. Mm -hmm. And you talked about it in another video with arms reaching out to wanting to be held, like not imposing mm -hmm. in even that way to me is just one of the things that I find to be so deeply important. Um, it might sound really silly to someone, but I know that like the typical thing that people do when they meet, you know, my daughter, for example, we're, we're here on the East coast, visiting lots of family. People will go up to her and say like, do you want to come up right when they meet her? They've never met her before. And my daughter is sussing out the situation, right? She hasn't met the person before. How does she know if they're safe or not? She's only just seen their face for the first time. So typically she shakes her head and withdraws um, into her safe person, usually me, because she is, you know, trying to get a sense of comfortability first. But the first response from folks is, hey, come up with me. Why don't you want to come up? Why don't you come up? Come up. I'm, you know, want to come up and like have a cuddle or whatever. And I just find that to be something that is, you just see these types of impositions and these types of expectations from when children are born which I find doing the opposite allows me to really connect with my daughter on her terms. Always. I really try to avoid doing anything to her that I feel is not in alignment with her need. And when people try to, I say, like, I joke with people, I'm like, Oh, they're all up in her business or whatever. Right. And she's clearly showing signs that she's not interested. Um, I just find that to be such an interesting the fact that not doing that is so radical. The fact that like trying to connect with a new child that you've never met before by like commenting on their pajamas or saying like, oh, they don't need to say goodbye. You know, if they don't want to, they don't need to say hello. If they don't want to, no, they don't have to come up. That's okay. I love when they tell me what they, what they would prefer to do. I'm, I'm really happy to just chat if that's what is, is better for them. But mm -hmm. people really don't know that. I think, I think it's maybe just like the expectation that like a young child will kind of like go to you if you ask, or they yeah. should say goodbye because they just should, or they should maybe, right. like, you know, um, people have non-negotiables all the time. Like, well, oh, if word, my kid is going to do anything, yeah, non-negotiable. So yeah. yeah. It's triggering. It's like, ugh. Yeah. but people will say, I have a non-negotiable. For example, my kid, they don't have to give a kiss, but they have, if they're going to say goodbye or greet a relative, they have to give a high five or a hug. Right. And it, it's hilarious because in 2023, consent is a huge topic. A, a, mo, the, the majority of folks these days are, are aware of consent and they're trying to foster this idea in their homes. Like it's a big, it's a big idea. And yet, like you said, Vivek, it goes completely against that idea. Telling your child they have to do X or Y by presenting it as a choice, but really it's a non-negotiable. And it's also the intention of the parent is like, but I'm also teaching them that if they don't want to give hugs or if they don't want to give kisses, they don't have to, but they still have to do another thing. Right. All of this imposing and this force under the guise of like teaching our kids to be polite or to be responsive or to be engaged with adults. It's just, it does, none of it makes any sense to me at all. And I just think yeah. that like this all starts in literally in infancy. Like it yeah. started when my child was born, like, so taken out of my body <laughs> right. into other people expecting me to give her over to them. Right. 
not concerned whether or not that that was okay with me, whether or not my daughter even wanted that. You could tell because she'd be crying more in the arms of others versus in the arms of mine. Just things like this. It's just, it's, it is really, really important to me that I parent my daughter with her autonomy at the center, with her empowerment at the center, and that I stand up for her and her needs in situations like, why won't she just give me a hug? Or, you know, you should say goodbye. Like it's, it's like you said, it's a value of mine to not be coercive. The thing with what you said too, Vivek about, it's not a formula because it's not because like, um, these other gentle parents who offer these programs and here's a formula and here's a, if you say this, then do this. It's like, you can't do that here. You really cannot like offer, um, here's what you should do in this situation every time. Right. And, uh, and it's really hard to have like real, uh, guided conversations that like offer some sort of specific takeaway because we're talking about like this entire patriarchal capitalist authoritative system that we need to that we refute you know in our and our parents is just one part of it yeah yeah i feel you i've been venting about that for two decades so (laughs) i feel you on that and you know i think one thing is you know i find over the years because i've been sharing this message for a while right and uh and in the early years um of doing it. I wasn't even sharing it. I was just doing it in the early years. It, it just watching people get so upset. It's really, it was really, it's really something, you know? Um, and I, and I feel like one thing that I've been trying to learn is, and it's slow because I get so upset at people who want to control kids. But one thing I've been trying to learn is how can I word this stuff or express this stuff in a way where people feel like I'm still meeting the basic needs that parents have. Mm-hmm. care for the kids to empower them to keep them safe uh to teach them manners you know like I, I hate manners i hate them i hate the idea of manners but i also get it the idea of manners is like caring about your impact on other people in how you interact yeah that i actually think is is useful to 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 do but you can't you can't uh teach someone to care you can't right give people consequences to care. You can't teach them behaviors they have to do that make them care. All that stuff actually makes them care less. Mm-hmm. So the question is, if you really want to help you, so this is like why, why I try, what I try and do is think about how can I reframe the goals traditional parents have and show them how they can actually get met more effectively this way. If you really want your kid to say please and thank you, then let's help them understand the, the value to them and their relationships in what in what expressing gratitude is all about without ever having any force you know let's help them feel how much joy there is in gratitude receiving and giving let's help them see how relationships are are uplifted that way you know it's like the story on one of my blogs where i was at a a a, a dance event and this guy had brought his two-year-old and i was sitting on the end of the uh, on the side and i was i was playing with this little pink tennis ball a regular pink tennis ball so bright and this little girl comes up to me and says oh, like that just like because the tennis ball was so pink and i said do you want to play she said sure so we started throwing the tennis ball back and forth she's just this big right she's this, she's this big she's two years old and then uh we played with it back and forth for a little while and we were having this beautiful connected laughing moment and then i said would you like this tennis ball she said really i said yeah she goes no i said really you can have it she said okay and i gave it to her and the way she lit up, the the joy, she didn't say thank you, but the joy and the clear gratitude coming out of every cell of her body. And it lifted me up. And I was full of joy from her expression that I thanked her. And then we were going back and forth, sharing this like this energy of gratitude with each other. We weren't a, a, an adult and a child, right? We were just two human spirits enjoying the experience of giving and connecting beautifully with each other. And then, uh, and then it was it was this magical thing, and I was and in my head I was thinking this is a master of gratitude, this person, you know, <laughs> and uh, and then Dad comes over after we were well, we were right in the middle of this of this exchange, and said okay okay honey we're going give the tennis ball back to back to Vivek, and there was like immediately there's a deflation a deflation in our in our energy, and I said no 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 I, I gave it to her it's hers now it's, it's fine she said are you sure, and uh, and I said yeah I said okay well tell Vivek thank you. Tell the vague thank you. And the two of us, uh, the two, the two-year-old, the two of us looked at each other and we knew in that moment how wrong dad was, right? And both of us deflated even more. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, no, she already said thank you. She already said thank you. She's fine. And he, and he left. Um, 
but but whoa, just watching this parent try and teach their kid gratitude when the kid had just made my life so much richer with their natural expression of gratitude. It was so clear for me uh, how parents have it backwards when they want to um, when they're trying to teach their kids. Can I can I have that lead into the next question we were holding is how does non-coercion and coercion relate to boundaries with our children since that is the core main question that parents ask constantly as soon as they even hear about the topic what about boundaries and also that is the essential message of gentle parenting it's all about you set a boundary and then you be nice to your child while they have feelings about it and that's the whole thing which is really a lot of what i was doing before i found non-coercion um conscious collaborative parenting um that's what I was doing I thought I was being really kind because she would cry and I'd act really nice to her while she was crying about all the things that I was taking away from her <laughs> I'd be like oh honey I know it's really hard but you it's can't do this you you can't and you can't eat this and you can't eat that and you can't touch the this and yeah yeah and I thought I was doing it right yeah. so I'd love to get into that more because sometimes you write on your materials, Vivek, you write no boundaries. And I just know parents are freaking out. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, we see it. We see it in the comments, right? You have it every time. There's always a comment from someone being like, okay, this is great in theory. And, you know, someone said once, like, I try to do this in my home, but it's just not practical. You have to have boundaries. And, and people I tell about my parenting style, I'm also very isolated in what I do. I don't know anybody else that does this personally. Um, besides you guys now. Um, and people are like, okay, but it's just not, I mean, you, you, they have to hear no. I mean, you can't do that. Like your kid is 15 months and I just get that all the time. So yeah. Would you speak more to that Vivek? Cause I know that that's been a comment probably on every single one of your videos for as long as you can remember. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I, I love this question because like you said, it's probably one of the most common questions. And, uh, and I think boundaries, I do think boundaries are important. First of all, let me say that. I do think boundaries are important. I think uh, holding and setting, setting and holding boundaries is a natural part of life, especially with kids, because kids will like injure themselves and damage themselves and kill themselves without even knowing that what's going on, because they don't know there's a car coming. They don't know a knife is sharp. They don't know these things. And so I think to a certain degree, it, it makes sense for us to work with boundaries uh, and limits. What I don't want to do is I don't want us to use our power and our uh, control to impose the boundaries on the kids, to impose the limits on the kids where they don't have a choice, where it's not coming from their own thinking, their own experience, their own exploration, their own ex experimentation, and their own wisdom. I don't want that because that does all the damages that we've already talked about, right? So uh, for me, like, like, you know, yesterday I was eating some food and it was really good, but then about three quarters of the way through, I got hungry and half the time I pushed through that. I mean, I got full and half the time I pushed through that. But yesterday I was like, no, Vivek, just put the bowl in the fridge, man. You don't want to eat this. It's not going to make you happy. And so like I set a limit for myself because I'm learning about my body. I mean, I'm 54, still learning about my body and learning to honor it. And I didn't really get that, that knowledge uh, skill built into me in my formative years. So it's still a little bit on the outside. But, uh, but I set a limit for myself and it was very empowering and I felt good about it. So limits can be a wonderful thing to have in our lives. In fact, without them, we actually aren't as happy in general. Um, and so the more conscious we are of limits and boundaries and how we use them in our lives, I think it really improves the quality of our lives. So for me, the thing is, how do I teach my kid the ideas behind boundaries and limits in a way that feels good to them, in a way that preserves the relationship, in a way that's really empowering for them, where I'm never using coercion and, and power to control them, where the where the, the 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 experience and the knowledge and the wisdom of these things comes from their own process, not from me telling them the process. So if so, if one of the my favorites is ice cream before dinner, right? So I want to say no to ice cream before dinner. I'm so tempted to say no to ice cream before dinner. And maybe I'm like a cool parent. So yesterday we had ice cream before dinner. So I'll say, well, we had ice cream before dinner yesterday, so we can't have it today. Maybe we'll have it once a week. And then I'm being a cool parent. But but I'm still saying no, right? I'm still saying no. And then why why am I saying no? Because it's not good for your body and too much sugar. And then you won't be hungry later. And you won't get the nutrients you need. And your body is growing. And you need the thing and the cell division and whatever. And I give the reason. So it's it's not just a no. It's no because. But 
for kids generally, if you tell them no because, it sounds like it's the Charlie Brown thing, right? It sounds like no because <laughs> the reasons just bounce off them. It doesn't make sense because they're being told no by an authority figure who has the power to enforce that decision whether they agree or not. And they know that. They know that if you don't agree, if they don't agree, you're still going to enforce the decision. So they can't really think about how does my body feel and what makes sense about nutrition and how do I want my body to operate and learning those lessons about why the ice cream might be good sometimes and not good other times. They can't learn that lesson because they're not free to tune into their own wisdom. And I'm even talking about a two-year-old here. They're not free to tune into their own wisdom because they have to have one eye open on you because they don't know whether the guide is going to be there or the controller is going to be. So for me, what I do is if I think, okay, my kid wants ice cream a lot. And I also, and I love ice cream. I think ice cream is a great thing for us to enjoy. And I also want to help them learn about nutrition and their body. Let me think about how I can start to joyfully and playfully and in a connected way, start to explore those concepts together um, without any wrongness, without telling them, ever telling them they're wrong for wanting ice cream before, before dinner, but just to explore it, to explore it separate from the issue, to explore it separate from uh, the moment. And as I'm doing it, and as I'm going through the process of learning about it and exploring it, which might take two years, it might take five years to learn something so deep as that, I'm still making sure that I say every now and then, hey, let's have ice cream before dinner today, even if my kid doesn't agree with it. Because I add that extra thing of joining in with them, joining in with their way of doing it. Even when they don't expect me to offer ice cream before dinner, I'll offer the ice cream before dinner. And it just takes all the pressure off the kid to have to listen, have to obey. And then all of a sudden, what are we? We're, 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 we're co-explorers, we're co-learners, we're learning partners. And then we can really learn to set boundaries and learn to set limits for ourselves in a way that's empowering and not uh, and not so disempowering as the traditional ways. So I definitely think there's a way of doing it. Um, I think there's a way of doing it where kids learn about it for for their own empowerment, and it's never it's never unpleasant and it doesn't break uh, the relationship at all. It's just in order to do that, we have to really divest from the old mindset and then try something brand new. I think that's what we're doing. Okay, I just got excited about one of the things you have taught me yeah. that's been so essential is this idea that I'm not going to be correcting her in the moment all the time. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't say that. You know, you could do better if you put your stuff away now because you won't trip over it. But, you know, like all the lecturing, which I make a lot of my videos about, about lecturing yeah. and an agenda. But what you did teach me to do is to wait for moments. So this is so key. I really want our listeners to hear this. Yeah. I wait for moments, and especially with me and my kid, it's before bed when we're lying together. When we're really connected and our hearts are really connected, and I'll bring up a topic that I'm interested in us looking at together. It could be food. It could be exercise. It could be um, including other kids, not leaving kids out, whatever a topic and I'll bring it up very open-ended. I'll be like, you know, I was thinking about blah, blah, blah. What do you think? And then we'll get into a deep discussion and it's not about correcting her or even commenting on her choices, but just bringing in the curiosity um, to get into it together. And I'm often, she's very open to my input at that time. If mm -hmm. I do it at another time, where she can sense because my daughter has like the wicked sixth sense about me judging her. If yeah. she can sense I'm trying to control in any way the just the valve closed, like stop talking. You know, she's just very clear when she can sense that I'm trying to control her. She said, she just lets me know right away. Like, Nope, not open to that. It doesn't feel good. But you taught me this. You taught me to wait for the, wait for the connection. And then yeah. to have no agenda then to be no like, well, what are you yeah. Actually, there is an agenda. The agenda is uh, to to facilitate the kids' self exploration, right? Here. And my exploration. The only thing I wanted to add about that is, we make assumptions about what our children know and don't know, what they're learning and not learning. And the other day, my daughter said, "I want to write down that I." just ate candy because I tend to get angry and upset after. Mm. Wow. I was 
absolutely blown away. Because I can't tell you how many millions of times I wanted to say to her, honey, do you notice that when you eat this particular kind of sugar, you get really angry? I've been wanting to say that so badly. <laughs> so badly. Right, of course. But I haven't because, you know, I have a judgment and I'm triggered about it. And then it turns out she's already on it. Right. I had a, a few thoughts there. For me, joining is such a huge part of my mindset when I don't know what to do. Um, I have these like things that pop into my mind. I look at them like my toolbox, my toolkit of like, well, how do I want to show up as a mom is always my overarching question. And then I'm like, well, it's non-coercive and collaborative. So those two things are helpful. But then I'm like, but what do I do? And joining, like you said, Vivek is really crucial to join in. And um, when Rathia, you were just talking about when you're joining your kid in a moment that you know that you're really connected in, that's where you can get their perspective and they can do that self-exploration. And I think the questions in attachment theory that really helped me do this with my own daughter and, and with my clients as a therapist is wondering about the two questions that we're all unconsciously scanning for. Sue Johnson writes about it, right? It's, are you there for me? And do I matter to you? Are you there for me? Do I matter? I ask this of my parents. I ask this of my partner, right? We are asking this of our friends all the time. Of course, our kids are asking this of us. And when we don't join in and instead jump to teaching because we have that agenda of urgency of, I have to make sure that they don't do this. They don't do that because, because, because we're triggered, et cetera. We can't actually show up with, yeah, I am there for you. And yeah, you matter because our agenda overrides that. And that, that's what really one of my huge tools is not just joining, but are, am I there for her? Am I showing her that I'm there for her? Am I showing her that she matters to me? And if I am ever showing up with no to either of those questions, I have to kind of go through this pretty quickly or maybe after the fact, but I'm always asking that um, and thinking about that concept in my head of attachment theory, right? Like if she feels securely attached to me, then those the answers to those two questions, are you there for me? Do I matter? It's going to be yes. And if I'm coming in hard with no, no, don't do that. Stop. Can't, don't, won't, you know, do my way, do my way, do my way, because, because, because I'm not joining her and I'm showing her that I'm not there for her in the way that she needs in that moment. I'm like yeah. doing my imposing again and I'm putting my own agenda in the way of that. And that's, it's, it's really, really important. I think for us as parents, if we are interested in this work to find our own strategies and methods. And for me, that's one of mine is holding those two questions that again, Sue Johnson came up with them that they're not mine. Sue Johnson being, you know, a pioneer in attachment theory and, and understanding but that I think is why joining is so imperative because our kids are asking if we're there for them and if they matter to us. And when we join them in yeah. connection and not in coercion, mm. they're getting yes. Mm. They feel that the self, the felt sense of um, acceptance and mattering is, is foundational to long lasting relationships Yeah, and self-discovery. How so? Well, I think when, when folks feel that in their relationships, in their intimate circles, they're, that they're mattering and accepted for who they are, they can take risks without worrying about being shamed or being judged. Um, and so I know for my own daughter, if she makes a mistake and I point that out and say, oh, no, doesn't go in there or you know, make a big deal. Like, no, the ring doesn't go on that one. It's the orange one first, put the red one and then the yellow one. Like even in that little silly, you know, it's, it's light, right? It's not a big deal, but I'm still shaming her for, for choosing the wrong ring. Mm -hmm. And when she's unconsciously, even in an infancy, right there, all humans are asking, are you there for me? Do I matter? Well, I'm kind of saying, no, not really right now. Actually, the ring matters. <laughs> you got to put the ring, the ring on the right size first. Right. Um, that's my goal right now, honey, is that you make sure that you get it right. Um, oh or if God, I... Great. What you're saying. Right? Karen. Yeah. It's just like, it, it is that deep actually. And I know people will hear this and they're like, Oh my God, I can picture some of my friends even, or, or just people I know they might say like, wow, it's really not that serious. You know, come on, get a grip. It's just, it's just playing with your kid. It's just teaching them how to do the puzzle or whatever. Yeah. Um, but to me, I do think it's that serious because of my experience growing up um, with parenting and messaging from not just my own parents, but society 
being told that I'm wrong, like you said, Vivek before, and you've said in other videos, when, when we're uh, constantly being given the message, you're wrong, do this differently, do that differently. We believe we're wrong. We develop core beliefs. And so to find out who we are and live our own lives authentically and to feel empowered in our authenticity, we have to feel that we're matter first, that it's worth it to do that because we're unconditionally accepted. And we're seen with unconditional positive regard. And by joining and by answering yes to I'm there for you, you do matter to me unconditionally, no matter what, no matter if you put the ring on right or wrong, or your shirt's on backwards, or, you know, you spilled raspberries all over the table. And now it's a big mess on the carpet. You know, I don't care. You're, I'm here for you. You matter to me. We can figure this out together collaboratively. Yeah, It really is to me, it's that deep because I work with adults who I help deprogram in their adult lives this messaging, just as I've had to do deprogram, mm -hmm. realize, Hey, I am actually okay. Just the way I am. I don't have to silence myself. I don't have to be smaller, you know, physically, emotionally, like I'm a woman, I'm tall. I don't need to take up less space. Actually. I have a lot to offer just the way I am. Um, and I want my daughter to feel that from me right out of the gate, like right off the bat. Yeah. Cause so much of the world won't support that message, but if she gets it foundationally from you, um, then it'll be in there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, so much of the uh, uh, objections I get is your kind of your kind of parenting Vivek doesn't prepare kids for the real world, but I actually think it's the opposite. Um, I think that you know when you talk about oh, people say oh, there's consequences in the real world. But to really work with consequences is a complex thing. It's not just give them consequences and, and then they figure and hope the kids figure it out because you gave them consequences until that you couldn't anymore and they rebelled. That's not really preparing. I don't see how that's preparing. Preparing is explaining to the kids what consequences are and how they work, um, explaining how to analyze them, the cost benefit, you know, the costs and the risks and the rewards of, of uh, taking certain actions and making certain decisions and how you make those decisions and what values are you making your decisions from? And are you listening to your intuition and your intellect in a balanced way? And are you taking in consideration from trusted advisors and then making your decision and then checking out the system that has the consequences and whether or not it's worth it or not to go with the consequences? And you can you do the thing and get away with it without the consequence? And then, um, or is it, a, is it connected with your values and you don't want to do it regardless of consequences? And um, I guess it's a, comp it's a complex comp thing. And then if you do receive a consequence for following your heart, then how do you deal with that consequence? Well, you you know, like, do you let it upset you? Do you let it teach you something for the next time? Do you say, well, I accept the consequence because I was following my heart and I'll do it again? Well, maybe all those three things in different situations. It's, a, it's such a complex issue because we do live in a world full of consequences, I want to actually prepare my kid for it. I want them to, to, first of all, to know unconditionally that they're okay, regardless of what consequence they receive, it doesn't damage their sense of self. That's like number one. Number two, I want them to care about the other people in the systems they're engaging with because um, they're, they're they have an impact on them. And I want them to, you know, from their own values, I want them to care about that. Um, but I don't want them to care about it so much that they diminish themselves. And even just explaining these things, you can see how complex it is, right? To, to prepare kids for the real world of boundaries and consequences in, in, you know, out there, I think it makes sense. But let's do it in a way like that's really well thought through. Let's do it in a way where the kids really learn the lessons that empowers them, not just makes them subservient to authorities. <laughs> that's not going to help them in any way. And, uh, and, and by exploring all these things in a non-coercive, joy-filled, collaborative way, joy-filled, like I always say, let's not make learning a drag, right? But if we explore these things over a couple of decades, consistently with someone in a way that they enjoy and that feels empowering and exciting to them also to explore it, then we're really preparing them for the real world. You know, any job my kid goes to, she's 26, right? Um, any job my kid goes to uh, always becomes the, the favorite employee almost right away. Um, not because she's afraid of consequences. She never even thinks about being afraid of consequences, but it's because she cares about the people she works with. She doesn't, if she does, if she's doing a, a good job, she's doing it because she cares about the actual experience of the other people. And, uh, and she cares to do a good job because she cares about her own work. And if she doesn't, she doesn't. And because and she's really honest about that. And so, you know, she gets, she, where, wherever she is before anyone else, she's getting promoted and the managers are all relying on her for her, her input. And, and, you know, I mean, everyone thinks, I mean, I think my kid's great, but, but 
but it's not because she's special. It's because she's her. It's, it's because, I, you know, I raised her in a way that allowed her to really be her. Her values are her own. Her thoughts are her own. Her pain is her own. And, uh, and I was there to support that, uh, that journey. And so same way, I think you mentioned emotional intelligence. There's another thing that helps prepare kids for the real world is understanding how emotions work and being able to identify when someone else is triggered and being able to identify when someone is being sincere and then knowing how that affects you and impacts you and how can you relate to it. Like the traditional way of parenting doesn't teach kids anything about that stuff. So how are you preparing? How are you preparing them for the real world, people? Please tell me. I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see it. What I see you do is uh, is prepare them for like maybe for the absolute worst case scenarios every day of their life. That doesn't sound like a lot of really helpful preparation. So let's think deeply about how we do emotionally, uh, relationally, as far as the different systems, the education system, the the financial system, the work work environments. Um, the legal system, everything, everything they might engage with, let's really, let's really empower kids around these things in a way that they feel good about and they carry off into their life as their own uh, skills. Now that's preparing kids for the real world, and it maintains the relationship, um, and it's done in a way that brings everyone uh, joy. And that seems like it just, like why wouldn't you want to do that? It makes so much more sense, and it's so much more enjoyable, and it's so much more uh, connected for everybody. And I think that's one of the things I love about this kind of uh, parenting is it, it, uh, it's practical. And at the same time, it's uh, so full of uh, joyful, emotional benefits. I still have this like lingering question of like, what do you say to folks, either of you, you can all weigh in, but you know, what do you say to folks that are like, this isn't, I can't do that because I, some things, you know, I hear what you're saying, fine, whatever. I, I like the idea, but practically I can't do it because I still need to be able to tell my kids. No, I still need to be able to like jump in and teach them. Like when, when you meet that resistance, like, do you have anything that you say to people that you find is furthering their understanding or is it kind of just like about them needing to process it more for their, for themselves? Well, what comes to mind when you're asking this question is um, there's often a lot of logistical reasons people say that they have to force their children to do things like this is what. Vivek, you're always like masterfully trying to take apart mm -hmm. because people are so sure that they absolutely have to make their children do these things. I mean, they are just self-righteous to the point. Oh my God, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. The self-righteousness of parents and their control patterns. Oh my God. And I understand. I do understand because when you're scared around your kids, whatever in your mind, your, their safety, their functionality, their relationships, their self-esteem, you know, it just gets so mixed up with our own memories of how we developed. And parents are, they're just trying so hard to make it come out different. And in using so much energy to make it come out different, they use all this force and then they replay it. They redo it again. They, they reenact the cycle of power over, you know, but um, something I'm learning because I'm really new to coaching people around this. This is this is brand new for me. Mm. I'm trying to learn my my way in my little fulcrums of how I get into stuff, and I'm just trying to gently point people towards collaboration and mutuality. So I just often when I'm coaching people, they go, and then I had to do this, and I had to do that, and then I'll say, like, well, did you ask your kid what? Did you ask your kid what that's like for them? And they're always like, no. I'm like, did you ask your kid what they wanted? No, they didn't even occur to them. So we just start with, well, what if you just started to take your child's opinions and reactions into account? Just start there. Even if you can't make it any different, you have to make them go to school by 730. Like you have to, okay, I get it. You absolutely have to. But have you talked to them about, is there a way they could get into the car that's easier for both of you. Have you both looked at that together, taken that apart together and problem solved together and tried stuff together? Because when you have buy-in from your child, the energy completely changes. It's a whole other universe. So connection being probably one of the main things that you're using to help parents realize that they can, if, right? Like if they came at it from, uh, seeking the child's perspective, connecting with them. Yeah, it's a change yeah. of mindset yeah. off of how 
how do you how do I get my child to do blah 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 and more what can we do together so that everybody gets their needs met so that everybody feels seen and heard and yet we still quote unquote have to do this thing mm-hmm. how can we do this thing in a way that feels loving to our family to our relationship to each other and yes, together I like that what you said right like and together how can we do this thing together yes with both of and that's what I always think too is how am I meeting her needs as well um, I feel like collaboration is, is the do do part that Vivek always says, like we're meeting both of our needs. So that's helpful. I think I just know that, like, I think about my own circle and, um, being in the circle of so many young parents who have young children and watching them kind of come in with the traditional parenting hat. Um, I hear that a lot, like, okay, love, love that for you, but really it's not practical. Uh, I just, I I don't see how I could like possibly not tell my young child to not put the the rock in her mouth or, um, to not climb up there because she's going to fall off and break her leg or to not jump on the bed because it's too dangerous because they could fall off and bonk their head off or break their arm. Um, those questions for me, um, I, I don't find myself thinking that way, but I can't, I have a hard time sometimes articulating why. I think a large, a large part of it is because when parents think that about their kids, they're thinking that about themselves. They're thinking they, they were told that they're bad and without the, without the force, they would still be bad. And the force is necessary to have in place so that you can be some semblance of good. And that if they let their kids be who they want to be and be who they really are, that they're going to be bad because you were told you were bad. And so everyone's freaking bad. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a whole different mindset to think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a divine source of light. And if you're atheist, just a source of loving light. It doesn't have to be divine. You know, I'm a source of love and light. And, and past all the layers of the programming, I'm a source of love and light. And my child is a source of love and light. And if we both find our authentic selves, our true selves, and that's what's going to come out. It's not, that's why when parents say, oh, if you let your kids do what they want, they won't listen to the boss. But maybe they'll care about the boss and the experience of the boss. Maybe that's the reason that they'll do a good job, not only because they're afraid of consequences. Maybe they have so much love in their heart that they want everyone around them to feel good in their presence and they care about it. Like there's so many different ways we can operate from the, in the world. And I usually ask people, do you think that the only reason you're not going around hitting other people is because you're afraid of the consequences? I hope that's not true. I hope it's because it's the kind of person you want to be. And that's the kind of impact you want to have on others in your relationships and in the world. And let's make, let's make that the center of, of our parenting uh, and teaching, uh, you know, exploring values. See, I changed uh, parenting to teaching to exploring. <laughs> Even in my own sentence, I was correcting myself uh, to exploring values with our with our kids. Um, but but yeah, I mean, like if you if you really feel the need to say no to your kids sometimes, then the question for me is, how can you form the relationship, foster or nourish the relationship, so when you do need to say the no, the kid accepts it because they trust you. Now, if you're saying no to everything and using consequences and punishments, then your kids are going to tune out your no pretty quick. If you want to teach your kid because you have to teach them, you feel you have to teach them, how can you create a relationship where your kids want your wisdom, where they care about your wisdom, where they desire and crave it because it feels so good to them, because it reliably makes their life better, because it feels good to their nervous system, because they trust it and they trust you, that they want the teaching. Sure, that makes sense to me. Let's If you if those are your goals, let's think about how to do it the most effective way. And Because uh, I don't think those, they're bad goals necessarily. Um, it's just most people aren't thinking past the surface behaviorism uh, level of uh, exposure therapy to make kids learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we, uh, but but the goals aren't bad necessarily. I want to keep my kids safe and I want to pass on my wisdom to them. Yeah, that's wonderful. Let's figure out how to do that in the most effective way and in the way that really honors us as human human beings. And that's where I really place the focus and the emphasis on uh, the parenting philosophy that I teach. Um, you know, like I said, my my website is meaningfulideas.com where I have a, a free workshop there, a free course called Guiding Without Controlling. And I love that name, Guiding Without Controlling, because um, we're still guides, but we're releasing the hierarchical nature that we are told from the past. And the guiding is really mutual. And, uh, and I also have a paid course on there called Recovering from a Parenting Mistake, because we make mistakes all the time as parents. We act from the old mindset. And, uh, and how can we take those moments where we act from out of alignment and really mine them for the the gold that's in them, for the lessons, for the healing, for the shifts, and do it in a way that there's not a lot of shame. There's, you know, I won't say no shame because that's hard, but not a lot of shame, 
and not a lot of blame and lots of change and lots of growth. And, uh, and, um, and, you know, and, and, but, but also on my social media, I have like on my YouTube channel, meaningful ideas, I've got something like, I think I'm close to 170 videos on there right now. And in, on Facebook, I've got something like 200 articles that I've written. I put out a lot of information on this parenting philosophy because it's not simple and it's not just on the surface. It's very deep and requires us to go deep into who we are and how we think and our understanding of the mind and our understanding of relationships and our understanding of values and our understanding of choices and decision-making and all this stuff. Um, and I really want folks to get a good grasp of it. So I put out so, uh, so many hundreds of hours of, of video and so many articles. So I would really love folks to check out my, my social media um, check out my articles on Facebook and the videos which I put on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and TikTok um, and, uh, and, uh, and go deep into the mindset. Because a lot of those questions, the more you dig into the mindset, the more the objections are, uh, are resolved. And you can see the beautiful, almost infinite potential of the, the joyful connection you can have with your kids and the beautiful, non, non, with no resistance guiding relationship you can have with them that lasts for a whole lifetime, that I'm still in it with my 26-year-old, who's my best friend, who loves to learn from me, loves to learn from me. Actually, one of her sayings is, when she she was just telling my my wife and I the other day, that whenever she has a problem to solve at home or something something that's that she's struggling with, she goes, what would mom do? That's her saying, what would mom do? <laughs> because oh, she wow. respects her mother's wisdom so much at 26. That's one of her sayings. Don't you want your kids to be thinking of you that way and not thinking, oh, do I have to call my parents this week? <laughs> they're going to get so upset if I don't call them this week. My kid knows when they don't call me for a week. I love it because they're honoring themselves. I get so excited about it, you know, and so that's it's worth it. It's worth all of the blood, sweat, tears and scars. Believe me. And I really want to encourage everybody out there who's in the middle of this and transitioning towards using less and less coercion to trust the process, to trust their own wisdom, to trust their kids wisdom. And to know that it's going to be worth it uh, as they go through the process. This has been Your Kids Don't Suck. You can find me, Kara Tedstone, at www.karatedstonetherapy.com and on Instagram at karatedstonetherapy. On my website, you'll find links to recommended readings and a link to my Reparenting with Mindfulness workbook, available now on Amazon. You can find me, Rathia Lee, at www.rathia.com. That's R-Y-T-H-E-A.com. There you'll find published books, articles, and music, and parenting videos. Also, I'm on TikTok at Rathia Lee, on Instagram at Rathia Lee. You can book parent mentoring sessions with me through my website. And also, I have an advice from a loving bitch YouTube show that helps people heal self-hatred, and that's rathia.com slash advice. It is important and essential to put our voices, Rathia and Kara, in a context. We are two white, cisgendered, straight, middle-class women living with financial and societal privilege. Because of this, our perspectives are limited and do not reflect the realities of all of our listeners. This podcast will feature guests with expertise around conscious parenting who differ in race, class, abilities, sexual orientation, and histories from us to broaden the conversation and reflect the lives of as many people as possible. 25% of the proceeds of this podcast will go to creators of color who have been mentors and influences on our work and in our growth as parents. If you like our show, please subscribe and stay tuned for more conscious parenting advice and insights. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash your kids don't suck to donate and connect with us.